Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. She's a 12-year Cisco veteran who currently serves as a sales channel segment operations manager. She was recently recognized as winner of the prestigious Cisco Worldwide Channel Organization Award for Innovation and Growth, as well as honored numerous times, including the Commitment to Excellence Award for her work in the IT channel. She leads various influential roles within the Cisco community, as well as an active member of Cisco's Empowered Women's Network. Outside of Cisco, she serves as chair of CompTIA's Advancing Women in IT Executive Council, where she focuses on outreach to encourage young women to pursue careers in technology and helps companies create cultures to not only attract, but retain women and millennials. In addition, she has recently joined the CRN Advisory Board for Women in the Channel. She has been recognized as one of the global small, medium business 150 channel leaders by SME Magazine and was most recently named in the Entrepreneur Magazine as one of the four people to encourage girls to pursue a career in tech by the CEO of CompTIA. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome the one and only Michelle Ragusa-McBain. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's an honor having you. How's your day going? It's great. It's been fabulous so far, and I've been looking forward to our chat all day. Awesome. Yeah, me too. How on earth do you have time to do all this stuff? <laughs> I don't sleep much. <laughs> That's probably part of it. Uh, yeah, in addition to all of that, I'm a mom of two, to a sweet little toddler and a baby. So I have a three-year-old named Brooklyn and a one-year-old named Callie. And I have two older stepdaughters, and I'm a wife, and I'm pursuing my MBA. So wow. lots going on in this household, and I believe a woman can do it all, so I'm going to try. <laughs> Absolutely. You definitely exemplify that. Thank you very much. Thank you. So whereabouts are you? Um, I'm actually located in Albany, New York, but um, like yourself, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I don't have the accent, but I'm a proud Brooklyn girl, and uh, I lived in New York City most of my life. I moved to North Carolina for about eight years, and I currently reside in Albany, so our fair capital. Yeah, so you've been, uh, you've been around uh, this part of the country. Yeah, I, um, I've definitely lived a lot, um, mostly on the East Coast. And uh, but I do travel extensively, as you know, so uh, that's always a big passion of mine to, to get out and see as much of the country and the world as I can. Yeah. And, you know, what I want everybody to, to get from this is that that not only have you attained all these uh, milestones, but you've also traveled to how many countries? Uh, at this point, my latest count is 77 countries, and I'm actually going to Peru in a few weeks for uh, one of my MBA classes, an international field management class in Peru, so that'll make 78. So I'm on my quest for the uh, Traveler Century Club, the TCC, which is uh, 100 uh, countries and, and territories that are recognized on this privileged list. But um, I, I don't want to do it by territories. I actually want to do it by countries. So I'm trying to get there. And... A lot of them we do as a family. So my oldest daughter, Brooklyn's been to 25 countries so far. And she, wow. so that was before her third birthday. So it's pretty <laughs> impressive for a three-year-old. We need to get her frequent flyer miles for sure. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I bet you she, yeah. she's going to hit that million mile club pretty soon. I, I hope so, because that would be good. Then she can start paying for her own flights. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. So, so Michelle, you're on the chair of CompTIA's Advancing Women in IT Executive Council, and I know that is a hot topic. A lot of people are interested in that. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like and what the mission is? Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's actually a mission that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I began at Cisco about 13 years ago, and one of the things I noticed very early on is that there's um, – you know, even in great companies like Cisco, there's not a lot of women representation and mentorship throughout the fields of tech, throughout the people I've worked with, the partners, the customers. Um, and I wanted to see more of that. And even for myself, I was the first in my family to go to college. Um, so that was, you know, very important to me. My family was first generation from um, Italy and Poland, and they were laborers, which is what they were taught. And they kind of taught their children to do the same. Um, and when it came to me, I didn't have a lot of mentorship or guidance. And I realized that it's kind of quintessential for somebody's success to have somebody mentor and guide them on their career and say, hey, you know, there's an opportunity for you. There's a place for you. These are the benefits. You can have a lucrative career. You can travel. You can um, have fun with technology. You can change the world. Um, and if you have somebody to kind of guide you, then you have that um, motivation, especially with women and especially with a diverse workforce. It's not only beneficial for the companies, but also for the consumers. It'll help increase your productivity and your sales and who you're working with is going to be that much better because you're kind of having this symbiotic relationship with your customers. So um, it's really been a, a very vital part of my career. Um, and I began when it started on the onset of it. Some there were some discussions like, hey, do you think we need something like this? And everyone threw their hands up and said, yes, we'd love to see something um, to help encourage and, and kind of outside of our own companies, because we have a lot of us have, um, especially if you're from a large vendor, like I am with Cisco, has the Empowered Women's Network, but not all companies are so lucky to have something like that. So if you don't, um, how can you create a culture that not only attracts women to a career in technology, but also retains them? Because that's another big problem that we run across, that at a certain point in women's careers, they tend to drop out. And, you know, what could be the catalyst for that? You know, maybe it's a culture that's not supportive of women or work-life balance or integration or families or um, who knows, right? And so we want to try and diagnose that and address that as a concern and really help companies not only attract, but retain women for the long run. Yeah. And, you know, what I love about what you do is that you exemplify that mission. I mean, with everything that you've listed off, you're working for one of the top com companies in the world, Cisco. Um, you're a wife, mother, you're an avid traveler. I mean, you've got it all. And that exemplifies that mission that, look, here, I can do it. You, you can do it as well. Absolutely. I mean, it, and you know, a lot of that is, it is working for a great company, like I am fortunate to, but I think there are a lot of great companies that have that intention out there. And maybe they don't have the, um, the budget or, or the ability to do it, but there are things that you can do. You can create a culture of enthusiasm, of support, of rewarding and recognition, of training and mentoring. Um, there's a lot of key things that you can do for your, um, for your clientele, for your own employees that will really help them in the long run. And I think part of that is embracing and learning and, you know, changing with the times, right? Because, um, you know, 
for on both ends, right? For for companies that are kind of stuck in a stagnant area or don't really know how to do it or or where to begin, and for young girls that are in high school and college, and even returning militaries or returning working mothers or things of that nature, it's like, well, how can I see myself in this career? So one of the things that we worked on with Comtio was called um, the Dream IT Initiative, and our goal was to reach 10,000 women and girls with the dream that you can do it, you can pursue a career in technology and there's a place for you. Um, and we actually hit our goal last year. There was a huge celebration, uh, it was really exciting. And now what's even more exciting is we have sister and brother branches in Australia and New Zealand and in United Kingdom across the pond and also in Canada. And so those um, subcommittee groups of ours for women in IT have started their own groups and are also trying to continue this mission in their geographies around the world. So it's not just the US thing now, we're taking our mission global and really trying to embrace this and, and cause global change for women in technology, which is pretty amazing. That That is pretty amazing how this whole movement started from this one idea, this one concept, and you just branched out worldwide. Absolutely, yeah. And there's there's other things that we're doing to try and join in that conversation. We realize it's not just, um, talking, but we can start there, you know, I mean, if you have a place that you want to talk to, uh, like a Girl Scout troop, or, um, you know, a church, or a synagogue, or a mosque, or, or some location that is near and dear to your heart that has relationships with youth, that you feel that you can lend your services and kind of talk to those young, impressionable minds, um, local high schools, junior achievements, like a lot of different organizations are really seeking people, business leaders, who are successful and you know you guys love what you do help share that mission of why you love technology with with young uh, women and men across the United States and across the world so we started there but then we also decided to branch out in some interesting ways we created a Facebook page called advancing women in technology um, we have a Twitter account which is at Comtia underscore AWIT um, we have a LinkedIn community um, which is just advancing women in IT for Comtia and so you can go to any of those places. And what we're trying to do is, you know, sort of a dandelion marketing approach. There's a lot of different people in a lot of different sections of different age groups and different niche marketing. And we want to make sure we hit all of them, right? And, and really let them know that this is a lot of opportunity. Um, and of course, we have other things we do as well. We're doing webinars. We have two meetings a year. We have an annual member meeting and we have a channel con event. Um, so that's really exciting. And hopefully you you just recently joined. So hopefully yes. you can attend our Channel Sun event, which will be in Austin, Texas coming up. We're going to have an exciting meeting. And one of the things we're going to be talking about at that meeting is a mission that we have, which is alliance building. So there is about 100 different women in tech organizations that we found around the world. And some of them are very broad, like the United Nations Women of Technology. And some of them are very niche, like... Um, Black girls can code, right? And so it may be very specific or maybe very broad, but what we want to do is sort of create an umbrella and bring all of these groups together so that we can work on our shared mission and vision and create um, sort of an opportunity for speakers. Um, some, somebody came up with this funny thing, but a lot of times when you go to a conference, you see what we call a mantle, which is a panel of men, and you don't see a lot of women speakers. So we want to create a woman's speakers doctor that you can have a bunch of opportunities for different people to cross pollinate with their resources. If you have bloggers or writers or 
you know, any sort of content that you need cross-pollination and sharing, this is an opportunity to work together and hold hands and really bridge the gap and kind of join forces because I think we share a very common mission. Uh, so that's something we're very excited about as well. That, that is very exciting, especially, you know, everybody that has a daughter um, would be interested in this. Um, and talking about that, so let's say a young woman is contemplating a career and she, you know, she's intimidated by um, technology. You know, she feels like it's a boys club. Um, how, how would you work with her to get her excited about, assuming that she has the potential and that she has the aptitude for it? Sure. Well, firstly, I think everybody has the potential. I mean, I, I really honestly believe that if you have the ability and the desire to learn something, that you can. And technology is such a broad and vast field, right? And it's not just what we originally would think of as somebody under a desk in a basement with a pocket protector and glasses working away programming something. Like there are job opportunities such as that, but there's also many different job opportunities. And you can also be what we call a biz tech. So technology companies like Cisco and um, Ingram and IBM and Lenovo name number of big tech companies and small tech companies across the spectrum have opportunities in marketing and sales and channels and, and you name it, HR, where you can work for a technology company but find your passion. For example, one of the people in our, um, our Dream IT speaker is a Betty Crocker tweeter. So if you like cooking and you like social media, you can do social, uh, you can be in tech technically. So, you know, it's kind of the concept is really to address a couple of things. One, you, there's a big chasm where in the last 10 years, the amount of women that have entered the career in tech has not only um, declined, or it's not only become stagnant, it's also declined, right? So there's less amount of Right. So you would think, and we would hope, but we're hoping to change that, right? So when we see that, we also see that around seventh grade, women's young girls' grades start declining in the areas of science and math. And really, we don't know why that is, you know, maybe it's peer pressure, or hormones, or trying to impress boys that, you know, they're not nerdy, or who knows what, but it's kind of trying to create a cultural shift that it's cool to be intelligent. And that we really think that, you know, if you believe that you can do it, you can learn and also following that mentorship, I think is really helpful. Um, and also that you don't have to be, you know, um, a specific niche engineer, that you can also go into other broad, um, areas of expertise and leverage those really quality skills. Maybe you're great at relationships and so you'd be perfect in a, in a channel function within a tech organization, mm. right? Or something like that. So it's sort of taking one, a look at what you're really good at intrinsically and turning that and looking at your potential opportunities within the technology field. Also, I think when you look at young girls specifically, most of them and boys and, and everyone that I see of a certain age, and I'm a millennial, but I guess I'm considered an old millennial because I'm born in 82. <laughs> so I'm on the cusp, the first year that millennials started. So I was actually surprised when I found out I was a millennial. Um, but what you find is that that you have, you've been born into the cloud, right? You're born with this love of technology. I've never seen my two older stepdaughters who are 20 and 17 without a smartphone in their hand. They walk around with a the computer. They have Google, where I had to look at Encyclopedia Britannica and look at former USSR and try to figure 
<laughs> what is these things now that has all changed because the book has become archaic and is no longer up to date. They have real-time information instantaneously in the tip of their hand, everything they can. And now you have artificial intelligence with Alexa and Google Home and Apple's coming up with a new device. So you have all of this smart homes and smart cities and the world around us is changing rapidly. And children are really a part of that, right? They don't know anything different. My three-year-old daughter, Brooklyn, can take my phone, go to YouTube, find Elmo, Chromecast him on the TV. You, she doesn't even know how to say a sentence, but she can do that function, right? So it's kind of incredible when you see the amount of technology that children are just aware of. When, I, when my husband and I learned about Snapchat, we learned about it from my, at the time, 16-year-old stepdaughter who know about it five years before it became talked about because they are early adopters. Things that as you get older, I think people in careers and technology sometimes are more hesitant, right? Because people are stagnant, they get stuck in their ways and they're kind of scared to adapt. So you have the laggards and you have the early adopters and millennials for the most part are early adopters. So you have this opportunity with kids that really do intrinsically get and understand technology to really take a deep um, look at, hey, I'm good at this. I'm passionate about this. I can learn if you teach me. And if we take the time, I think, you know, certain things that should be kind of standard in school, like programming and coding and things like that should be just as important as a math class, right? Because it's just as utilized in some parts of the world and in, in a lot of careers, right? So I just actually created my own travel website called Through um, Travel Through Our Eyes. And that's something that, you know, is you can make a website or you can do Excel coding or you can do a number of different things, right? That you can take these skills and apply them across a broad um, section. But then you can tell this young girl, um, you know, do you want to make money? Do you want the ability to work from home sometimes? Do you want the ability to um, create a career that, I mean, this is a Cisco um, coined phrase, but I it's part of the reason that I work here. It said, changing the way we live, work, play, and learn. And I've never forgot that because it, it stuck with me intrinsically that I'm part of something that is changing the world as we know it. And that's what technology is and that's what technology does. So to be a part of that, it's a movement and it's really an incredible thing to be a part of something that amazing. You know, what you're involved with, there's nothing else out there like it. And I'm just thinking about how I started my career. And, you know, even though that I didn't have any of those challenges that uh, young women have entering the workforce, I'm just thinking, had I had somebody like you, a mentor that knew the landscape and knew what was available, how much further along I could have been. So it's really amazing what you're offering uh, to these young women today. Thank you. Yeah. And, and you know what? It doesn't even have to be, um, you know, women specifically. I mean, anyone. I think it's really important that we all take the time because our youth, like there's the statistic that Todd Thibodeau, the CEO of CompTIA, came up with that said um, within the next 20 years, 70% of the workforce will be millennials, right? Because a lot of the baby boom generation is going to be retiring. So when we look at that, there's going to be a huge shift on the way we do business, right? In the way we communicate and the way we interact with each other because those people who are already born into the cloud and already thinking different and acting different are then going to become the leaders and shaping the way that the cultures of business are run. 
so we have this opportunity to kind of embrace each other. And what, what I call it, actually, I work a lot with um, Janet Shines, who's one of my personal mentors, and she is the worldwide channel chief of Verizon. And she calls me her reverse mentor. And so basically, it's sort of like I learn from her and her experience as a leader in the industry and technology, and she'll learn from me sort of social media and, and things that, you know, maybe a little bit different nuances for, you know, a millennial or younger perspective, right? So you kind of cross-pollinate in terms of who you work with. And I think that this, even if you don't have an organization, you should find people that inspire you, not one like five or 10 and find people that you think have great qualities that you'd like to emulate and replicate in your life, right? And you seek a relationship with them and you check back in with them often and you say, you know, this is what I've been doing. This is what I've been working on. What can I do differently? What are your best practices? So you're not reinventing the wheel. And you create for yourself this Rolodex of trusted advisors that can really help shape your career, not just as a young person, but throughout your career, because I think everybody can use help on their journey along the way, right? Um, And then also maybe along the way you find not only mentors, but sponsors, somebody who will go to bat for you and say, you know what, I think that this person is top notch and I would put my name on the line for them. And you only do that by kind of watering and nurturing and growing that relationship over time. So I don't think it's one way. I think uh, a mentorship is a symbiotic relationship that you have with people as you continue your career. Yeah. And, you know, many young people may be intimidated by people with more experienced people that are older than them. But, you know, like you said, you also have something to offer these people. You have your young perspective. You're more savvy with some of the later some of the latest technology and it's a symbiotic relationship. I love the way you put that. Yeah, it's, it's a great way to think about it because I think part of it is you're not just asking for help, but you're willing to learn and grow and be available, you know, and I think part of the coaching aspect is that you really want people who are going to be willing to learn, right? Because it's rewarding personally also if you can help somebody. I think whenever you help somebody else, whether it's through nonprofit work or something else like that, you leave feeling good that you help somebody else also. So it's really, it's a kind of a great feeling for both people because you're kind of helping to encourage one another, to learn from one another, and to help each other grow collectively. Yeah. And, you know, um, Napoleon Hill, a hundred years ago, talked about having a mastermind. So that was, you know, sound advice about the Rolodex of mentors. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I really, I think that everybody has something different and unique to give. And if you only look at one niche thing that you may be missing out because everybody has different experiences, different companies they've been through, different leadership they've had, different challenges with customers, you know, you name it. And I'm sure that you probably have some people that can offer you advice that you're not going to have to, you know, reinvent the wheel or something you've been scratching your head about keeping you up at night that they can help solve for you. So I think it's really critical in terms of career launching to have somebody that can kind of point you in the right direction and just be a sounding block to listen to you on your journey. It's been very helpful for me throughout my career as well. Yeah. When I started my business and I was introduced to networking, that was something that really opened my eyes, you know, because we may be good and smart in certain areas, but we're not in every area. 
and the people that you put around you help round you out and you could sound off ideas from people that may have a or that will have a totally different perspective than you and you'll be amazed at some of the ideas that come back absolutely yes i think they say you're only as good as the people the five closest people you surround yourself with yeah. right that's the quote. Yeah. so I, I think that it's really important that you surround yourself with people that inspire you that want you want to make you be your best and do your best you see your best in them and you aspire to be like them and learn from them i think that that's really a critical component and then reciprocally to surround yourself with people who you can help encourage in the same mutual way yeah absolutely so did you ever have a challenging situation with somebody that you brought into your organization to mentor um, that was having a hard time and you really helped this person out to really get ahead in their career? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of times that I've met a lot of different people throughout my journey um, who really just kind of get stuck. I think that's the best way to say it, right? Um, they, they feel overwhelmed or they don't really know what to do next. And, and my greatest advice is you can never have too much experience, you can never ask too many questions, and you can never, um, you're never gonna grow unless you're not scared to take a chance, right? And I think that the problem that most people have is they come to this point, um, and I'll tell you a little bit about my uh, beginning at Cisco and that kind of how I started. So when I was beginning, um, I was actually working on Wall Street, and I didn't really like it, <laughs> to be honest. No offense to anyone nope. who's ever worked in Wall Street. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, I looked at my life one day and I said, you know, even though I did this, I was a, a graduate from Manhattan College. I was a double major in global business and marketing. I minored in peace studies. So very different dynamic, a lot about philanthropic work, a lot about um you know, global execution and big business. I joked it was make a lot of money, give it all away, right? That was my uh, summary of my um, education. And so here I was on Wall Street. I was young, I was impressionable. And I thought to myself, you know, I, this is not what I want to do with my life. And it was scary, but I took a break. I paused and I said, you know what, reboot. And I, and I you know, just quit. And it was kind of sudden, and I didn't know if it was a good idea, um, but I did. And I was a great student. Um, my mom was a single mom, so I worked throughout college. So I didn't have a lot of work experience. I would advise people if they can get internships to do so, because it would have been really advantageous for me. But again, I never really had that mentorship. So a lot of the time, what I did was sort of waitressing and things like that, just to make money and get through college. And when I had the opportunity I had great grades I was a you know 4.0 in my field I had a pen and sword society I did every activity that you could imagine much like I do today not surprising <laughs> and so um, there was an event called the De La Salle dinner and it was at the Waldorf Astoria and it was a networking event and they had a ton of people there um, and a lot of them wanted to just talk with other business leaders because we were the newbies and we weren't you know as knowledgeable or ex, you know, verbose. And so there was a few um, people that did interact with us and take the time to really reach out. And one of them ended up being uh, a worldwide 
um, vice president for Cisco at the time. He was a sales leader, and he became my first mentor, and he really encouraged me. Um, he asked me if I knew what a router was. I had no idea <laughs> at the time, but I said to him these words, and he said, this is what changed everything for him and for me. I said, I don't know, but if you teach me, I'll learn. And at those simple phrases changed my life because that's really how I felt. I just needed somebody to give me a chance and an opportunity and I would execute flawlessly. I had no doubt in my mind because I was passionate and I was hardworking and I had the motivation to learn, but I just needed my foot in the door. And so there was an ASR program at Cisco um, and it was a year training and you would get basically sales and engineering. I became CCSE, CCDA certified. Um, for people who know what that is. And you, I ended up, um, at the end of it, I could choose if I wanted to go into a sales or engineering job. So this was literally the game-changing moment for me. But I knew to get my foot into this door, and which I did, and kind of now you know the story, but I had to pass three interviews. And if you didn't get all three to agree, you didn't get the job. And so it was so stressful because it was like speed dating and there was 800 people for every one job that you applied for. And I get into the room and there's bells going off and there's timers and you're flipping and you're moving. Oh, and my first interview, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. I've never been through anything like that. My first interview was amazing. It went really well. And my second interview went really well. And the third interview, the man picked up my paper and he looked at it and he kind of scoffed and he's like, mm. I don't think you're cut out for this. And I said, I think you're wrong. And he Whoa. said, can we go on with the interview? And he just kind of sat back and we went through the whole interview. And at the end of it, I said, do you think I'm cut out for it now? And he said, I think you're cut out for it when you told me I was wrong. Whoa. So my advice to young people is believe in yourself have the confidence that you can do it. You know, you have to have the confidence. If you believe it, you can execute it. If you don't, you're already doomed from the beginning. So that's a really big thing that I learned and I was able to kind of help other people with, I think, along the way. So luckily I made the cut and actually it ended up that they had set me on the wrong day. So they sent me on the engineering day, which is why I was able to get into both programs because the engineering and the sales leaders both agreed that I would be the perfect candidate for either role and so I ended up kind of moving on from that point. Um, but I think that as I talk to people in their lives, I've learned that you can't be in scared. You are scared. It's a natural feeling. It's an emotion. But channel it and use that energy to study, really understand what you're working on, to really execute, and not only learn your vulner vulnerabilities and flaws, but take that and perfect them and kind of work on them, right? Because they're, it's not a challenge. It's an opportunity to be even better because nobody's great at everything, right? So you have to use those weaknesses as opportunities to continue to grow and challenge yourself. So that's sort of the, the type of things that I learned in myself that I've kind of tried to share with other people along the way. Wow. How old were you when you took that interview? 22, 22 years old. I think I just turned 22. <laughs> so take us through that moment because when I was 22, I don't think I could have had that confidence. What was going through your mind at that point? Survival of the fittest. I think it was just pure Darwinian at that point. I knew that if I didn't get it, that I would lose out completely on an opportunity that could change my life. And I wanted it so desperately. I wanted that opportunity that I thought, 
I can't let anything stop me. I can't let anything get in my way. And I want him to believe in me. And I just, it was the thing that came out of my mouth. I don't know why I said it. <laughs> I, I, I think if you were put in any other position, I probably don't know if I'd say it again, but, <laughs> but I don't think I would change it because it, it gave, it gave him a laugh and it gave me the confidence to just kind of kick myself and say, you got to do this, you know, and just be, be sure of who you are, you know, and, and I've learned, you know, through the years, I've watched a lot of uh, women at Cisco give a lot of great talks on our Empowered Women's Network. And one of our senior leaders said something once, and she said, um, a lot of times when I'm asked to do a role, I overthink to myself, do I know everything about the role? And then she thought, I never know everything about a role till I'm in it, right? You know, whenever you take a new job opportunity or you've done something for a while, that's when you gain the experience. And that's when you gain the the hindsight of you know which is 2020 of what is hard and challenging and what you can do better but when you're starting out you only have the vision that you might be able to execute on it and there's this interesting statistic and Sheryl Sandberg talks about it in Lean In that if you look at women that the ratio of how people see themselves if it's here if the line is average men see themselves above that line typically women see themselves below that line typically so the confidence barrier is already there from the beginning. And if you have that disbelief, that's a lot of times why um, people talk themselves out of trying new opportunities, going into senior leadership positions, um, you know, just challenging themselves to do new things, right? So I think a big part of that is really just trying to have confidence. And, you know, you can do that a number of ways. You can find mentorship. You can read books. There's so many great books out there. Um, uh, Never Eat Alone was one I just recently read. I very much enjoyed um, Cheryl Sandberg's Lean In. Um, nice Girls Never Get the Corner Office. I mean, I can name a ton. I can send you a list, actually. But yeah. there's a ton yeah. of uh, inspiration that you can give yourself to really understand and hone the fact that you're not going to know everything going into it. But if you're willing and able to learn, you're going to have the experience and you're going to be able to do it. You'll be able to execute. You just have to have the confidence in yourself to get your foot out there. It's the confidence effect, really. And that is an amazing mindset and great, great mentorship advice for people. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> so, Michelle, as you were progressing in your career, what were some of the ups and downs you experienced? I'd say, you know, it's kind of an interesting journey because I think when I started, um, you know, there was a lot of challenges. I hit a lot of crossroads, right? So at that point, I had to choose. Did I want to do sales or engineering? And I didn't know what to predict, right? You know, I knew I was going to take enough courses in both that I can graduate in either way. Um, but, you know, I thought perhaps maybe my personality was a bit more sales-like. So I allowed that to, to make my decisions for me. But I'm, I'm a bit indecisive. I think part of that problem that I've had in my personal journey has been, you know, just not um, having the confidence, especially early on. I mean, that case was an anomaly. <laughs> but, you, but especially being young, I looked young very early on. I was in a sales role. And I was very nervous that people would see me and judge me because I was youthful looking and because they would judge if I had enough experience or enough um, knowledge of the product. I knew that I did, 
Um, but I was worried that I would be judged for it. And I guess you, you can't worry about things like that because people are going to have their perceptions of you either way. And as long as you can have the knowledge and expertise to back it up, then they'll learn and they'll trust you, right? If you've given them the opportunity to. So that was part of it. Um, I went into sales. I did quite well. Um, I really enjoyed working in sales. And then I decided to try something new. I kind of came into a, another crossroads in my life, my career, and I, and I went into operations. And from there, every three to five years, I've kind of thought, you know what, I don't ever want to become complacent or stagnant. So I've always kind of tried to change my role. Um, I was a relationship manager for telco service providers, supporting Quest, CenturyLink, Embark, and Stavis uh, for multiple years. I was the global lead for Ingram uh, for about four years. And most recently, I work in the public sector space now. So I've tried to always learn different things and, you know, so to speak, put a different feather in my hat and just uh, really diversify my portfolio because I think it was really important to have a well-rounded understanding of the business and the people that we work with and what they're looking for. And I've definitely um, learned a lot um, through those experiences. And in terms of challenges, uh, you know, sometimes you work with people that are, you know, in the technology field, but aren't necessarily early adopters. I think that's probably the hardest thing to, to work with, in, especially from an operation. <laughs> it's a little frustrating because when you come in that experience, um, and I'll give you one of the examples, I worked with the company and um, they had a very legacy system. And for every um, everything that would come across to us, what would take another company like 24 hours to go through our process took seven days to complete, right? Uh, so it was seven times the length and it was very exhausting, but they were very hesitant to try anything new and they were very... So my role, uh, and has always been that, is to really kind of um, bridge that relationship with my partners and our resellers and our and our stakeholders, and try to really become their trusted advisor. I think that's important because if you're going to do anything personally or professionally, somebody has to have trust that you're not going to leave them hanging when you need them the most. And I felt that way in sales, and I felt that way in operations, and in many various roles that I've had. So I think that it. It's important that people can believe on you and count on you. And if you don't know the answer, that you find them the right person who does, right? So it's okay to not know. I think that's important that you're not going to know everything, but you have to be able and willing to to ask for help and to learn and, and to let them have confidence in you. Don't just give them an answer for the sake of giving them an answer. Really help, you know, because that's important to the customers. And so at the end of the day, I was able to transition them off of a system and, you know, save them a lot of time and money, save us a lot of time and money. Um, but it's just that sort of process that, you know, when you're working with different people, they, you know, especially when you're new to working with them, it takes time, whether you're their manager, whether you're their peer, whether you're supporting them, um, it takes time to build that trust. And you have to just, before you just go in and, and create action, you have to pause and listen and really understand what is their issue? What are you trying to accomplish? And what will make them happier and what's in it for them? If you can deliver that, uh, I think that you're going to have a very successful relationship, whether, whether it's sales or whether it's uh, you're trying to deliver them a better system or whatever you're working on together. And even not business, personal relationships as well. You know, there's a saying, you have two ears and one mouth and use it in that order. 
people could do that. People could do more of that. That would be probably for the best. Yeah. So I definitely think um, listening is the most important thing that you can do. And, and that's, you know, not a technical thing, but it definitely yeah. can help. <laughs> Michelle, what keeps you motivated every day? That's a good question. Um, I think it's passion uh, for, for what I said earlier. Um, when I think about, you know, that, that first sales meeting I went to when I was a young girl, just starting out, got the job, was so excited, uh, crushed my number, got to meet John Chambers in person, kind of lingered outside long enough <laughs> that we were all kind of staring at him. We waited till everyone left the room. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember he looked over at us and he said, you guys must be my ASRs because we were just kind of looking at him <laughs> and we were like, we are, you know, and he, and you know what I thought that was so amazing. He, he looked over at us. He said, tell me, what, what do you think about our company? What could we do better? What do you like about it? What, what can we do better? And I thought, here's this man who's CEO, a legend, is amazing. Like we all put him on a pedestal and he's asking us, the newest and youngest people in the company, what we thought about the company. And I thought Cisco is built on such integrity and such um, core values that, that I really did believe when he gave his comments that this technology that we're selling, this the automation and the digitization and not just the switching and routing and security and wireless and all of that, but the the ability that it's bridging gaps, that it's giving the ability to change the world, that we're able to help educate people, that we're creating smart cities that are going to um, reduce pollution and reduce costs and create jobs and increase efficiencies and, you know, creating abilities for remote people in third world countries to get medical care through telepresence and things like that, where they can get healed in uh, instantaneous times where seconds can save lives, right? And I felt like this is changing the world and I'm a part of it. In whatever way that I'm a part of it, I'm a part of it. And that is something that I've never lost. And that's why I love technology. Um, and that's why I love working for the company that I do because it's really helped open my eyes to all of the abilities, all the things that we can do in the world. Um, and, and I think that's an incredible thing, you know? Um, and so I, it, our newest slo slogan, and I really like this too, is there's never been a better time to be amazing. So why not? <laughs> so true. Right. <laughs> really taught me a very important lesson right here and something that I'm going to internalize. This uh, sounds a lot like Simon Sinek where, uh, start with the why. And what John Chambers did was he sold you on his belief and he, showed you that he doesn't just talk the talk, but he lives that message as well. And that was such a beautiful message. Yeah, it really, it really, um, and I think that's a big part of, and I talked a lot about women, but also millennials. And that's a lot of what I focus on too, because I am a woman, a millennial, and I've blogged about it and, you know, seven ways to attract and retain women millennials, right? Because it's not necessarily the same, right? There's different unique qualities for women and men and, um, but some things are similar and, you know, and, but when you look at that and you look at um, millennials, one of the core aspects that they say is that they're about a mission. You know, there's this misconception that they change jobs often. I've been at Cisco 12 going on 13 years. So I'm an anomaly maybe, but I think that if you have something you believe in and it resonates with you, 
Um, that's a big part of it. Um, you know, the ability to support work-life balance. I used to live in an office where I came in three days a week and worked from home too. Um, you know, we have medical facilities on site. They have um, postal options on site. There's a lot of um, convenience, right, to working for a company like Cisco. Um, but now I'm working remotely. So here I am in Albany. I have a local office that I can go to. Um, but it gives you the opportunity to kind of have different um, phases um, and do things sort of like what you have. So we use our WebEx platform a lot, our telepresence a lot, and it gives us the opportunity to work with anywhere, anytime. So that's sort of a nice. Um, and uh, I think millennials also have the impending desire right, to help people and to feel like you said the why, what is the mission? And a big part of Cisco's mission is also corporate philanthropy. And it's not just lip service, like that's a big part of it for me. I really want to help give back. So I've been able to um, take a week to volunteer um, every day and that didn't count as time off for my personal time off. They actually encouraged us to have a week of um, corporate citizenship building. So go to our local communities and do something. So every day we did something that was pretty amazing. Like we worked um, with um, children that have cancer in the Albany Med um, facility. We helped um, build care packages for military troops. We ended up going to the Ronald McDonald house and helped cook those families breakfast. Uh, we went to a food camp and we were able to help um, shuck garlic, which was pretty interesting. I keep vampires away for a good couple months. Um, but, you know, those are the things that I think are really important, that if companies can have that team building and that embrace that culture of not only just having fun, but giving back, like that's a really big thing for people in general. But I also think especially for millennials. So the why you know, in terms of that you have a career that you're passionate about, that you believe in what you're doing, absolutely. And that the ability that you're able to kind of work together and give back, I think that's also pretty spectacular. So I, I encourage all companies to really take a look at what they can do to help others together. Yeah, that is definitely sound advice. I know, even though I just missed the millennial cutoff by a few years, you know, it does resonate with me when when I meet a business that has that mission, you know, just like the things you were talking about volunteering, like I wish I would have had that when I was in a corporate job, because that would be so fulfilling. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's an easy thing that people can do to just even if it's an hour or two hours of your time, um, you can find things pretty easily within your community that you can, you know, I mean, it's kind of the same thing as a bowling event or, you know, paint and sip or whatever you want to do. And, and I encourage those things as well, if you want to do that as a company. But if you can do something to help others, I think that's a really cool way to kind of build confidence and teamwork together. You know, I don't know about our audience. I can tell you from me alone, I, I mean, I've learned so many things so far just in the last hour and so many changes that I'm going to be implementing in my company. <laughs> so this is good stuff. <laughs> awesome. I'm happy to hear that. I'm very happy. So Michelle, so talking about business, uh, you know, the statistics that many new businesses uh, within their first year, they fail and, and they go out of business. Where do entrepreneurs go wrong? You know, um, so I, I will say that, you know, out of scope for me per se, because I've never actually been a, an entrepreneur myself, but I've worked with a lot of people and my husband's been an entrepreneur. He And I supported him through starting a startup. 
Um, and I think what's interesting about that is seeing, because he also started like me in a big corporation. And I think you're kind of biased. And I know I, I've often talked about this with a lot of small, medium businesses and service providers and resellers that say, hey, that's great for Cisco, but what can I do? Right. And what, are, you know, we have to wear a lot of hats. And I totally get that. You know, um, I think for my husband, his big eye opener was, um, so I have to be, you know, I have to do QuickBooks and, and take care of my books. And then I also have to do the marketing. And now I'm going to have to do the website. And by the way, take out the trash because no one else is going to do that for you. <laughs> right. So I think it's humbling. Um, and I think that it's important because it's, it's probably one of the most important skills that people can have because you have just the most robust talents of anyone. You are learning a variety of different skills that other people don't have the pleasure of knowing. So, A, it makes you very employable, I think, because you know um, jack of all trades, right? You know a lot of different things. I think where it becomes complicated is maybe because you take on so many things, you're stretched pretty thin. So a lot of times when I talk to um, small owners, especially at our CompTIA events, the thing that I hear quite often is, um, you know, they have a lot of questions, but they don't have the bandwidth on how to do a lot of those things, right? And so I think a lot of it, a lot of things that can help them or maybe some of the things that are coming down the pike, like some artificial intelligence and predictive analytics that can really take a look at business trends and kind of give them some really quality feedback. Um, there's some business partners that we work with at Cisco that can look at different things a month in advance and predict what's going to happen and kind of help you there. So I think if you can't afford to, to look into some things that can really take a look at your system. And the other thing is kind of getting sage advice from different platforms. Like I talk to a lot of people that um, when we do a lot of social networking guidance or social media, um, they have a lot of questions and a lot of them don't know the answers. Um, or maybe they don't have the time to learn, right? So it's sort of um, picking and choosing uh, what you're going to focus on and having the desire to know that it's not one thing. I think that when you're an entrepreneur, you're going to have to know a lot of things pretty well and not one thing really well um, because you're going to have to kind of um, broaden your scope of business uh, knowledge. You know, that was very insightful what you said. Um, because when I get up on my soapbox and I talk about the benefits of cloud and how by utilizing the power of the cloud, an entrepreneur working out of his grandmother's basement can pretty much run his entire business. Whereas in the past, before the cloud was available, it would have been almost impossible or very expensive. So now taking into account artificial intelligence, what it can do for that entrepreneur. It could literally put that business on steroids. That's, that's really insightful. Absolutely. And, and to your point, cloud, I think cloud applications are really extremely helpful as well. I mean, we do obviously a lot of um, hybrid cloud solutions at Cisco. And it's sort of the concept that you don't have to, I mean, trillions of dollars of hardware out there. We're not going to just take it and uproot it and throw it all away, right? But for the people that are just starting out or for the people that are wanting to kind of incorporate different stuff, it's like, how can I take what I already have and adapt a more robust solution, right? And of course, there's things that are really critical to that. You need to focus on security. You need to focus on um, different applications that can help you throughout that endeavor. But I think that if you look at the different opportunities, there's a lot of cloud-based applications that can really help encourage and um, diversify your, your business needs to make them as simple as possible. And, and that's a great opportunity for small businesses. Yeah. 
Michelle, I really love what you're doing. This is a really uh, great uh, movement that you're starting. Where are you looking to take this, let's say, in, in the next five years? In terms of the women in tech, yeah. specifically? Yeah. So my friend, Christina, who's the vice chair, uh, recently started at SAP. And she said this really great um, quote to us the other day. She said, if the aliens came down tomorrow and they said, what are you doing for women in tech? what are we doing? <laughs> and it's a really good question, right? Because you want to say, you know, we have, I have, you know, two years as chair, I was a vice chair for a, a good year or two, and then I'll be chairman emeritus. So in the five years that I've been a part of this organization and, and really putting all of my blood, sweat and tears and love into this mission, what have I helped to accomplish? Um, and I think that there's a couple of things, you know, um, one, we're really trying to take a look at the big picture. You know, we're really trying to broaden the gap because there, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of alliances that are working on very similar things, but we operate in silos, right? And we don't have a lot of shared resources or shared collaboration. So we're trying to stop that. We're trying to really extend an olive branch to work together because we think there's a lot of great opportunities out there and we can help each other. Um, come up with some really great poignant things that can, um, you know, share resources, share communications, help cross-pollinate, help get the word out about our efforts and our mission and our vision. That's one. Um, we have a career platform that we created, um, and that's really open to everyone, but obviously targeted towards women. I mean, you can use it for anyone right now. Um, we have a speaker's deck. If you wanted to give a speech to somebody, you can leverage that in our Dream IT deck. Um, so you can go tomorrow to somewhere and just take some, you know, pick and choose. And we created the guideline and the, and the opportunity. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's out there. It's canned. It's plug and play, ready to go. Um, and then the other thing that we really wanted to do is we wanted to kind of take a look at um, our most recent initiative is actually podcasts like yourself. And we wanted to say, hey, um, you know, this is something that's pretty big right now. People are commuting to work. They want to listen. They want to take some time out of their day and just unwind and gain some knowledge and expertise. So we're going to come up with um, interviewing um, six really poignant uh, women in tech. And we want to kind of ask them their journey and their story and, and you know, their best practices and words of wisdom and sort of kind of very similar to our conversation here today and just kind of get some inspiration from them and share that. And the, the hope is that we can continue that conversation um, and help to share those conversations with people that may not have access to it. And by the way, you don't have to be a CompTIA member to listen to our webinars or a podcast, um, but so it's open to everyone. And that's really important to us. Um, we also give $10,000 away every year to nonprofits. And that's pretty important work. So if there's somebody that you know that might be a really viable candidate, um, our past winners have included um, Tech Girls, which is a company, at a nonprofit out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that does a lot of amazing work um, helping to support women and girls um, in kind of middle school age, consider technology. They do tech in a box workshops and things like that. So it's really looking at um, a variety of people. We're obviously trying to do it globally as well in our Australia, New Zealand, United Kingdom, Canada, and beyond. Um, so we're trying to spread it. You know, this is not a local mission. It's a very broad global mission. And we're trying to take it, 
you know, in a big picture and really help just wherever we can. Um, and that's obviously a big undertaking and it's a big, uh, you know, initiative to have. Um, but it's something that we're all so passionate about that we think that we can really help make a difference if we do it together. Totally. Um, Michelle, if you could rewind the clock, let's say 12 months, would there be anything differently that you do? I have to say no. Um, I think for me, uh, I don't believe, you know, I haven't had the easiest life, let's say, growing up. Like people who um, would know my early days and things like that. Um, you know, my mom was a single mom and I worked since I was 14 and I've had a lot of different experiences throughout my life. Uh, I met my husband. Uh, we have two stepdaughters, two daughters. Um, and for me, I, I'm very proud of the life that I've created. I've done a lot of different things professionally and personally. Um, I don't know exactly, you know, every step along the way. Um, but I think that everything that I've done has helped shape who I am and helped giving me the experiences. And even if they're bad experiences sometimes, and that sometimes happens, um, I don't regret it uh, because I think it helps me learn from those mistakes and really helps me um, try to do better. If you look, I, I love those things that go around that look at like Walt Disney and, and all of these um, people like Steve Jobs and who were told no like 10,000 times <laughs> before they got it right, right? And I think that that's a great example. You can't quit in life and you have to believe and be confident in your abilities and, um, and learn from your experiences. And, and you know, I think uh, for, I have a really, I'm part Native American and I'm, I was raised, uh, you know, Christian, but when I <laughs> have this really great analogy and it says, pray to God, but roll away from the rocks. And I love that because it's like, you know what? You have to have your faith in whatever it is, but you have to have your ability to really um, drive yourself in the direction you want to be. And so I've always tried to do that. I've tried to drive myself into the direction I'd like to see myself. I like to do some vision planning and strategic goaling. Um, but anything that happens along the way, I'm really happy with the journey so far. And so I wouldn't change anything. And I'll just kind of take whatever I, that didn't go perfectly and say, hey, it taught me something. And I'm, I'm happy that happened too. That's really beautiful. And, you know, just like Richard Branson always says that uh, one, of, one of his favorite pastimes is daydreaming about the future. And by visualizing, that's how you, uh, that's how you focus and come up with new ideas. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really important. And uh, the book that I read most recently said, um, not only to, to dream it, which is important, but to write it down, right, in a concrete way. Um, and I think that that, you know, kind of putting that pen to paper, which, you know, how many of us do that anymore? <laughs> but if you can do that, if you can actually write it down, you're kind of making a commitment to yourself that you're going to take this action. You're promising yourself that you're going to make a commitment to do something that you believe in yourself and you're going to kind of try and make it happen. So I think that that's a really important thing, not just dreaming it or saying I will someday, but kind of making a concrete action. And that's sort of what I did with my MBA. I've been thinking about it for a long time and I wrote it down. I said, I want to accomplish this. I was the first in my family to graduate from college and it's something that I really believe in. Education is very important uh, for me and it's helped change my life. So I said, you know, I've always wanted to get my, my master's degree. And so I wrote it down and I took the steps and I made it happen. And so I will be beginning uh, May 15th. 
So sometimes you just have to write it down really and make nice. it happen. Really nice. So Michelle, we have time for a few questions from the audience. We actually have two questions. I'm going to read them together because they kind of segue in uh, from one to another. So Mark Richards is a reverse mortgage planner with Fairway Independent Mortgage in Fairlawn, New Jersey. And Mark asks, for someone going into IT now, what area would you focus on? And then uh, segueing into that, um, Vadim Maklis, who's the CEO of Performance Marketing and Dealer Products in Hingham, Massachusetts. So his question is specifically about artificial intelligence. And if you feel that the current rate of advancement in this field will ultimately cost the tech industry jobs. So as women continue to be a bigger presence in IT, are you concerned that they will be competing for a slice of what ultimately will be a much smaller pie because of AI? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, both are great questions. Um, so I'll begin with the first. So actually, it's, you know, we, we discussed this earlier and I, th I said that these are kind of connected because my answer actually to the first question was artificial intelligence and predictive analytics. I think that that is absolutely um, the wave of the future um, and something that is very interesting to me personally as well. Uh, when you look at a lot of the stuff that's going on right now with smart homes, um, the Nest and all of these devices for um, energy conservation and robotic fridges and uh, we have the Alexa and the Echo Dot and you know everything that you are within scale which can check your blood pressure and now can has the opportunity to see if you have uh, clogging of your arteries like there's just the amazing capabilities that are happening right Pilio which can uh, monitor your health if you're taking the right medicine and pills if you have a, a senior relative or somebody that needs caretaking it can alert you if they didn't take their pills and so you're really able to manage so many things now that beyond ever before like before beyond what we ever dreamed of that's pretty fascinating in and of itself to me um, but also then looking at the broader picture, which is a lot of what Cisco's working on with governments around the world in Italy and Portugal and Spain and India and all of these smart cities. And, and now actually also Compia had a focus on four cities that they were looking at for, um, you know, the Internet of Things and the Internet of Everything and all of these smart um, devices. So when you look at these things, each thing trickles upon something else that can save time. So a great idea or way to look at this is that it's not necessarily eliminating jobs and although it might but it can also create jobs right so maybe we're adjusting our skill set and we're learning new traits and specific things so for example a traffic light is no longer a traffic light but a traffic light is also monitoring the the neighborhood and it's going to have signals that are going to read if somebody's come out of their house now it's going to turn on it's going to have the traffic lights adjust to the traffic, which is going to limit carbon monoxide emissions because traffic's going to flow smoother. Maybe that can reduce accidents. It can send an alert to your app to tell you that there's a parking lot space that just became available. So you don't have to drive around 25 times like I used to in Brooklyn and you did too to look That's to unload your grocery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, there's these things that you can do now that are so incredibly fascinating. Um, garbage collection. Right now, a garbage truck will go and it'll pick up every single spot, which is a waste of time and money and effort, right? But now you're going to have the ability to know 
when it's full and go right to that one and overlook the ones that aren't full yet, right? So you can make huge strides and changes. And so the people that are doing these jobs are, you know, both from a government perspective and from a humanitarian civilian perspective and from a technology perspective, all have stake in the game because these things are all feeding off each other and communicating with one another and circling back together. And, and so it's this fantastic wave of innovation that I think, um, you know, when you talk about the horse being replaced, you know, by the car, we're not necessarily horses per se. I mean, there's there's an opportunity, I think, that we have the skill set and the reasoning and the rationale that we can learn new things. There are times where artificial intelligence will be cheaper and more accurate than humans. I think that is a, a possibility, but that doesn't necessarily take away for the opportunity for other jobs to be opened up and created and monitored and work in different ways, right? And I think there's also going to be a bigger merger of I don't just work for the city, but now I work for the city in terms of communications and technology. And so there's gonna kind of bridge a lot of gaps that are going to happen. Um, and then just to touch upon the one thing that I wanna encourage a lot of women out there that are listening is that I heard a statistic that 70% of the people that are designing artificial intelligence are white middle-aged men. So let me say that again, the statistic is saying that the artificial intelligence, which is designed for a society, is designed predominantly by men who are of a certain gender, of a certain age, and a certain race. So I think we can do better there. So I'd love to see more women and more diverse people going out for these jobs because there's a lot that we can contribute. And I do think that the intelligence that's created should reflect the society that it's going to be working with in the end. So that's pretty important. Absolutely. And we need more minds in there in order to get more ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great answer. Thank you, Michelle. Okay, so we got one more question. Lisa Samatero is a founding partner of Keller Williams in Ridgewood, New Jersey. So Lisa says, my daughter is a college freshman majoring in computer science. It seems that coders are a dime a dozen with many jobs filled by cheaper labor offshore. There's also a concern that automation and robotics will make many tech jobs obsolete. What should she be learning and focusing on to make sure her skills are valuable and relevant to a successful future? Yeah, that's a great question too. So I'll say there's a couple of things that we can talk to there. One, with the most recent political election, I think that there is going to be, and this can change obviously every four years, um, perhaps a less of a, um, desire or ability to work with off these companies, right? So I think that the political influence is going to largely shift what happens, and we have yet to see what's going to happen there. So that's to be determined. Um, but I do think that coding is really essential, and I said that earlier. Um, there's a lot of things in technology that I think is pretty important, I think should be kind of standard classes. Um, I, I don't really use statistics that much, but I use Excel every day, even when I'm not uh, at work. So I think that there's some things that really should be more common ground um, in terms of education and, and really providing um, insight for, for youth to be prepared for the real world, right? And as I mentioned earlier, WordPress and, and Java, um, C++, Ruby on Rails, like there's a ton of really quality coding opportunities out there. If you look at the stats um, from 2016, 
about every single one of the coding jobs on average begins the lowest bar set was a hundred grand or more. So it's a very lucrative profession. I think the high it topped out around 147, right? But I think that the opportunity there is that there's a lot of companies and people that want to work with people locally. Um, so there is always opportunities. Um, actually, one of the people that worked in my husband's company refused to work overseas. He only wanted to work with somebody that he can sit in the office with and kind of co-design with. So I think there's always going to be those job opportunities. You just have to look for them. There's probably a lot of opportunities out there. Um, but there's also a lot of different um, applications for coding, right, from website skills to um, any number of things, right, the Excel, et cetera. So I think the opportunity is that we have to teach our, our youth kind of table stakes that this is kind of important. And then when we look at um, driving the education of um, coding and other opportunities, we want to also um, keep in mind that we have the ability to kind of seek careers. I think a big part of it, uh, a lot of people that I talk to have uh, a fear of leaving where they live um, and that can sometimes cause an, um, an issue because there's a lot of job opportunities out there, but maybe you have to be willing to adapt or move or go somewhere new. And for me, for example, I moved, I left New York and started working in North Carolina when I was 22 years old. Um, but my uncle told me at a very young age that sometimes the best jobs are available to the, those that are willing to take a risk and go somewhere new. So I think that um, if you have the desire and ability to gain the experience and to kind of get yourself a niche, you can kind of perfect your skill and take it back. And, and you never have to live somewhere permanently, but it's never a bad idea to be open-minded to new opportunities and new um, areas of expertise and places of employment as well. Isn't that true about anything in life that if you wanna succeed, you have to be willing to risk? I think it's true. I think, you know, I mean, nothing's going to come if you don't take a risk in life. You know, I think the best things come, um, no risk, no reward, right? So I think that best things come when you when you take that leap of faith and you really um, take an opportunity. And there's no guarantees in life, whether you stay or whether you go. Um, so why not just take the opportunity and, and try and make it happen? Beautiful. Michelle, I know you're a busy gal. We're going to let you go. But just before we do, how do people connect with you? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Michelle Ragusa McBain. You can find me on Twitter at Michelle Ragusa and Facebook and Instagram. I'm an open book, so I'm welcome to connect. And uh, you can always email me as well at miragusa at cisco.com. Great. We're going to put that in the show notes so people can reach out and hopefully we'll, we'll get some more uh, people into your organization. Absolutely. And uh, just a shameless plug, but my new website, which I will be launching because I don't have too many things to do right now, is Travel Through Our Eyes. So it's going to take a look at all of the um, 77 countries that we've been to so far. Um, so I'm just getting that off the ground and running. But hopefully you take a look and follow it and uh, give you some travel tips and tricks, especially if you're traveling with small children. Uh, so hopefully that can help some people out along the way as well. I'm going to check that out. Sure. <laughs> Let me know what you think. Absolutely. So, Michelle, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to leave the audience with as if it wasn't enough what you said for the last hour? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know if it's wisdom. It's just as much as experience for me. I think that um, for me, 
the most important thing you can do in life is to really just listen to one another, be kind to one another, be open-minded and believe in yourself. I think that that's really key. And to the young women and girls out there that are thinking like, hey, you know what, maybe this is something for me. I encourage you to learn more about it. Reach out to us. Um, we'd love to talk to you. I'm sure we can get you down to one of our events. And for the men and women out there that are passionate and love what they do every single day, definitely go out there and take a moment and spend some time with youth. You can really help make a difference. You can really help impact them in, in a way that you would never imagine. Um, you can change a life. And it's really, it's just a short bit of time for you, um, but the impact that you can have can really create a huge movement. And so I really hope to see more young women pursuing careers in technology. And I, I really hope that we can kind of change the dynamics um, of this because I think there's a lot of brilliant uh, minds out there that can be really valuable and, and really help the tech industry overall. Beautiful. Michelle, thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge and wisdom. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I love, I love speaking with you. And if anyone else has any questions, please reach out. I'm always happy to help.